0: And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. We are super excited to be talking about progressive web apps today in uh, this JavaScript broadcast podcast, JavaScript Air that we love so much. Um, Before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors that make this possible. We have Egghead.io, the show's premier sponsor. They have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, TypeScript, all kinds of awesome stuff. And upcoming really soon, a uh, deep Dive on Webpack that I'm working on right now. Really excited about it. Um, and, then, and I'm using Webpack 2, which is the bomb. Um, so then Frontend Masters is also sponsoring. It's a, a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on Front End topics. And incidentally, I'm also doing a, a workshop for Frontend Masters in August, and uh, one of my workshops will be uh, Webpack Deep Dive. So if that's your jam, check that out. Uh, then TrackJS, uh, reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them, and with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And SparkPost is email delivery built for developers. Build something awesome with their Node.js library or SMTP relay. Start sending 100,000 emails free with SparkPost at sparkpost.com slash And finally, WebStorm. Uh, WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. It makes uh, developers more productive with its super intelligent code assistance for JavaScript, Node, Angular, and React, and integration with lots of other different tools. Learn more at jetbrains.com webstorm. Great, that's our sponsors. Let me just uh, mention again that this is a live show, and so um, we have the benefit of interacting with you, the live viewers. So if you're interested in asking any questions of our guests about this topic, uh, Progressive Web Apps, you can tweet um, the hashtag JSAirQuestion and ask your questions there and they will be answered. Um, And then next week, uh, our show is actually sort of in flux right now. Uh, It was going to be Webpack, we pushed that back a week, and um, we're probably going to be doing something about uh, um, beginning, like the the beginners in the JavaScript community. should be an awesome show. Um, I think it's valuable for us to care about people who are new in the, in the community and in the industry. So um, check that out next week. It'll be the same time. Um, and then follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. All right, let's uh, get to know people who are on the show. So like I said, I'm Kenzie Dodds, your host. And uh, then we have a couple subject matter experts um, in the area of progressive web apps. Um, and so yeah, first, Henrik Jorteg. Hi. I'm pretty sure that I pronounced your last name wrong. No, you got it. It's good. Okay. okay. I didn't ask, uh, I didn't practice the names, so hopefully this, this works out. Um, we also have Ada Rose Edwards. Hi. And Nolan Lawson. Hello. And Ben Kelly. Hello. Awesome. So um, let's give each one of our guests an opportunity to introduce themselves before we get into our topic. So we'll start with Henrik.
1: Hey, uh, yeah, so I'm an uh, independent JavaScript developer uh, right now doing some contract work for a Fortune 500, uh, building some fun stuff that might be related to the show. Um, and um, yeah, I think the web is needs to be doing what we're doing here with Progressive Web Apps, and I'm really excited to see this like come to be, so that's me. <laughs>
0: awesome, Ada.
2: Hi, I'm from um, the Financial Times on their um, in FT Labs, their like research department. I'm a, a full stack JavaScript developer, um, and yeah, I've been talking about um, progressive web apps for a while now, and I've been working on um, um, web apps since I joined the Financial Times uh, before service workers were a thing, um, so a long time. Um, so yeah, that's that.
0: Awesome, I just want to say thank you Financial Times for polyfill.io, it's a fantastic service. Uh, And actually it was picked on the show by uh, Mishko Hevery a couple episodes ago, so yeah, Polyfill has been on the show before, it's super cool. Um, All right, uh, Nolan. Hi, I'm Nolan
3: Lawson, Uh, I'm a freelance web and mobile developer, and uh, I do uh, do a lot of stuff. one of the maintainers of a JavaScript library called PouchDB, open-source uh, JavaScript database. Um, you may know me from a silly Pokemon app that I wrote that is a progressive web app. So I guess that
4: makes me an expert on the subject, uh, and I'm happy to be here.
0: And we're happy to have you, uh, Ben.
4: Hi, my name's Ben Kelly. I work for Mozilla. I'm on the the DOM team, mainly working on service workers for the last two years or so. Um, kind of have the I don't know, misfortune of being a C++ developer. Uh, so I find myself often having to take an opinion on web stuff even though I don't, uh, I'm not a practitioner day to day, so fully aware that uh, I have a lot to learn there, but try to help where I can. So hopefully I can offer something here.
0: <laughs> well, we appreciate your work on Service Worker, um, and I think that will be a major topic in our show, and maybe a little bit controversial. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. So, um, cool, yeah, I think uh, to just get started with our show, um, it's it's always good to get kind of a baseline for everybody's understanding, make sure we're all talking about the same thing. Um, so, could I get somebody to give us a, uh, like a one or two minute definition of Progressive Web App? Anybody can take that.
2: Uh, sure, I will, if no one else will. Um, a Progressive Web App is, a website that's so good you wanted to install it to your home screen um, usually has offline uh, <laughs> support.
1: That's awesome, huh?
2: Um, it can do push notifications, um, it's got to be responsive, um, uh, yeah, you can add it to your home screen, um, which is, yeah, one of the main <laughs> things you get with an app. Um, and um, it's got to be progressive, as in so that it'll still work in IE7 as just a website, but if you're on, um, uh, in a recent browser, you can also install it to your home screen. Does that kind of encompass most of the things?
0: Yeah, I was actually, so, um, I, I might have a misconception here, but um, is it possible, I, I, I thought that it was only possible to actually install like and have an actual icon on the home screen on Android devices with Chrome is that not is that not true? You can do that with
1: like Apple and Safari. Oh uh, yes, Apple,
2: you've Apple. Had,
1: uh, Yeah, go ahead.
2: I was gonna say yeah, Apple's done it for years. But, um, yeah, that's how um, they
1: first started.
0: <laughs> yeah, obviously I'm not a subject matter expert on this. <laughs> um, yeah,
3: I, I think I think that's why uh, Ada was very careful to not mention any particular technologies in her definition of a service work- or of a. <laughs> right, right there, uh, nice. a progressive web app, um, because it's true, there's lots of different ways that you can make one.
0: Cool, actually, um, Nolan, maybe this would be a good opportunity for you to talk about um, being duped a little bit uh, by a, a certain progressive web app.
3: Yeah, I guess, I guess I can tell that story now, I might as well. Yeah, so I, I was so excited, you know, I, just, I just got off the plane, I'm in New York, flew from Seattle, And uh, I was so excited because I was was excited to come on the show and to talk about my recent experience with a lovely progressive web app that I had uh, from Alaskan Airlines, which uh, allowed me to uh, look up my boarding pass, and it worked totally offline. I could save it to my home screen. It had a splash screen. When it launched, it didn't have a URL bar, and I said to myself, this is a beautiful progressive web app, a perfect... Uh, a shining example of what a progressive web app can, can be used for, right? Like a boarding pass. Like, I don't have to take a screenshot of this thing. I don't have to worry that I'm going to lose it when I'm standing in line fumbling for my phone, right? Um, but it turns out that uh, I opened it up in the Chrome inspector, uh, the dev tools, and actually it was using uh, application cache or app cache and uh, touch icons and another special tag, mobile web app capable. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which was uh, a novelty. That was a new one for me. Um, And those technologies have actually been around for several years, so uh, they they predate the term progressive web app even.
0: So I think um, just like Ada, you know, carefully avoided any specific technologies in her definition, I think, um, you know, even though Alaska Airlines wasn't actually a, you know, progressive web app in the terms of of modern technologies, um, it still, like, provided that kind of an experience, and I think that's, that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about progressive web apps. Um, even though the technologies are maybe a little bit nicer these days, um, uh, or advanced in some ways, um, it doesn't have to use those technologies to be a progressive web app. Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree with that point. I agree,
3: yeah. The whole progressive aspect is, as Ada said, that progressively, it, it progresses from site to app, basically.
0: Cool, so um, let's let's talk about some of the more, like, um, modern technologies that are used to accomplish this. Um, so, what are, uh, or or maybe, let's, sorry, let's dive a little bit deeper into the definition of progressive web app, what are the minimal things that are required, I guess, uh, for you to consider an application progressive?
1: Well, I can give you kind of what, what the Google Chrome definition of that is, which is that you have an app manifest uh, that you run, which is a JSON format for describing metadata about your application Uh, You register a service worker and your site runs on HTTPS. Uh, In addition, uh, from what I understand, they're going to add uh, additional kind of requirements in that it should serve something offline uh, when you... uh, So without network, it should still be rendering something. Um, So that's kind of the the modern definition in terms of that's what will make the add to home screen uh, UI appear. Uh, that's part of the native browser UI for, uh, you know, in, in the browsers that, that fully support progressive web apps.
2: Well, so I would say the, the minimum required functionality, um, uh, again, I'm going to avoid some tech, not uh, for something to be considered a web app, um, but this is below what is required to actually um, bring up a prompt. I'd say it needs to be responsively designed, um, so you, it works well on um, on mobile and desktop. Otherwise, we're just gonna have another generation of M-dot sites, um, and um, it's got to yeah, it's got to have some kind of content when you're offline, um, and it's got to um, um, work well across um, touch platforms and um, and mouse or pointer um, environments. And that's kind of like my minimum, what I would expect.
0: Uh, Go ahead, Nolan.
3: So I think that's an interesting point you brought up. You just mentioned the prompt. And I think maybe the the panelists here, we all know what the prompt is. But maybe we should explain for the audience what, what she means by the prompt. Okay, so this is kind of, this goes back to the question of what is the definition of a progressive web app, and as it turns out, uh, we don't have any representatives of Chrome here, but uh, the Chrome team does have a very specific definition of what a progressive web app is in terms of whether or not they will show this magical prompt to you. And what this prompt is, is basically it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, like a little toast that shows up at the bottom of the screen when you go to a website that qualifies as a progressive web app uh, in, their, in their definition and it says, do you want to add this site to your home screen? Which, uh, actually, that's in Chrome right now, it's in uh, Opera, both for Android, and then, uh, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that's in Fennec, it's in Firefox uh, for Android Nightly now,
4: right? Uh, actually, I, I'm not sure. I We're working on our manifest support, but it's not, to my knowledge, shipping yet in any of our branches. Um, the whole... Um, Issue with the prompt—it's—it's it's basically a browser-specific heuristic that has no standards around it. Like, there is no standard for progressive web app. Like, the underlying technologies are standardized, but the this concept is um, not. And um, so, it, should we standardize this heuristic or not? I guess is an open question. Um, it kind of ties browsers' hands if we do that. But anyway, long answer to a short question. So. <laughs> No, that's a good also, answer,
2: yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. I was say some, some of the heuristics for it aren't, um, um, they aren't matched ac- across browsers. They're down to what the browser thinks a progressive web app should be, and those views don't necessarily align, but I think that's actually kind of a good thing that progressive web apps themselves aren't a spec. They're just a, a way of building something.
4: Well, so this might be... This kind of gets into, sometimes I get confused by the term progressive web app because in my mind I hear progressive and I think, this site works progressively, it gets more features depending on what platform it's on. If it's on a site with Service Worker, maybe it works offline. If it's on a browser, sorry, on a browser with Service Worker. If it's on a browser without Service Worker, maybe it doesn't work offline, but it sort of progressively enhances across feature sets. But that's actually not the definition. I guess progressive web app is more, as you over time use it, it progressively gets more app-like. And so there are a number of progressive web apps that are sort of, I only work on Chrome. You know, even though, uh, mainly because they haven't been, for various reasons, like if you don't have the exact set of features that are in this definition for the heuristic. And um, internally, I'm like, that doesn't feel progressive to me. Um, But I I think that's the problem, is there's this one browser definition that's uh, being sort of defined very... uh, Firmly, I, and they're the first ones with implementations that, that, that I'm not complaining about that, but I think um, it'd be great if we could come to a cross-browser solution so things work progressively across the, the platforms as, um, instead of tying it to you know uh, the new largest market share browser. Sorry, kind of rambling there. But.
1: No, I, I, I think it's interesting, but I, I tend to think that we should be actually holding the bar pretty darn high for that prompt. Um, because I think the web has a reliability problem in general, um, you know it's it, the Apple you know kind of originally said to everybody, "Hey developers, if you want to build for iOS you should you know add this web app capable tag and then we'll you know we'll make a way for you to add an icon um, but the problem was the web wasn't ready for that in terms of capabilities, and so you everyone knew that it was just a bookmark right uh, no one thought that they were installing an app. Um, but as a result, you know, you push that bookmark and you don't know whether it's going to open or not. And I think that's exactly the problem here is we don't have a way to, like, have people fully depend on the experience of the web. And then when I add something to my home screen, like, I want that thing to friggin' work as if it's a native app, whether or not, you know, I, I explained this to somebody who, who wasn't, uh, you know, overly technical. And then the the thought of adding something to their home screen was not appealing to them because they're like, well, that's where I've got all my, like, pure native apps that I know are going to work. Like, why would I want to add a bookmark to that? And I think, you know, it's just kind of, I think it's important that this is, for the first time, something the web can do to actually be a fully, like, native feeling, you know, OS treats it as a first-class citizen type thing. And I think if we don't hold that bar to that, to the add to home screen thing, I think we lose a lot Uh, because we have no other mechanism of controlling, you know, kind of quality of these things other than, you know, so what, every app registers a service worker and tries to get you to install it to the home screen. like, what, that that doesn't gain you anything, you know? Um, I think it's really important that in addition to having service worker and stuff that it actually... You know, run some tests to make sure that this thing will open when it's offline, etc. And I, I feel like that's an important detail in all of this that we 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 risk diluting the value of the whole thing uh, by not holding that bar a little higher.
2: Um. So, um, you were just saying that um the um that it's only recently we can now do um fully offline um, um apps, and our, I miss I, miss I yeah, I slightly disagree. But
1: please, but please clarify. <laughs> uh,
2: because the um, again, I'm kind of shilling for my company here, but the Financial Times um, started has been using a progressive web app as its as its like main distribution of digital content on mobile via a progressive web app since 2012, and this was before service workers and um, the App Cash manifest, and this was um, and not, but we weren't just shipping for iOS we were also deploying this to Android via a wrapper um, and um, Firefox OS and uh, RIP and um, BlackBerry and Windows um, so it's definitely something that, that's not, um, not a new thing to do and I think um, and I, th- I think because it does have some history behind it I think it's pre- a pretty safe technology to go into and I'm worried because it's only recently entered into the limelight, that a lot of companies are going to be concerned that it's new that it's new and untested when it's actually a, a quite robust technology. Well, it's a robust delivery mechanism, even if the technology has changed over the past few years.
1: So, really, the fact that you can build reliable web apps is not new is what you're saying. I mean, which part of it is robust is what I'm asking. You said, that's what you're getting at right uh,
2: yeah like it, it it works it it you can deliver content through it it drives revenue it it's a right. good technology
1: absolutely what about the offline aspect of that how important is that to, to all of it
2: um, for us well for us as a as a as a um, news um, delivery company like we uh, I couldn't think of the correct term there um, Offline was pretty important for us, um, but we uh, but so we used AppCache at the time to gain offline support. Unfortunately, AppCache does encourage some very bad habits with regards to mangling URLs in, in order to ma- maintain the single-page web app um, ex- like kind of experience, uh, which which has been resolved if users, if you can use a service worker. And although a service worker will eject an app cache, um, if if you have both, uh, it's you can't really. If you have app cache, you have to contort yourself into this horrible way of developing, um, uh, which you won't don't need to do with a service worker. So definitely, I'd say if you're going to build an app now, build a service worker app. Don't use app cache. Um, but there are tools out there which will allow you to convert a app cache-based website into a service worker one, um, such as, um, oh, I think it's like sw-appcache or something, from the service worker tools, which Google has been putting out there. So I don't really know where that went, but yeah, there were some words.
3: <laughs> yeah, so to, to Ada's point, just to um, let the audience in on uh, some of the details of this stuff. So AppCache has been around since, what, 2007, 2009, in broad Browser Support, and basically allows you to define a declarative manifest of uh, all the files that you want to cache, and it just caches them. And it's very coarse, and it's very difficult to work with. And there's a famous article uh, from Jake Archibald about this API that I cannot repeat on air, because I think (laughs) it violates the code of conduct, just the title itself, but uh, we can provide a link afterwards. Um, but it basically sums it up. It's really difficult to work with. I've struggled with AppCache many times. Uh, we used it for the PouchDB website, I remember, and we thought, okay, you know, we we make an offline database for JavaScript. We know how this stuff works. You know, we can figure this out. But if you go back, we had, like, I think there's, like, seven issues that we ended up opening on ourselves over the course of weeks and weeks as we realized that we had messed this up so badly. I mean, migrating from HTTP to HTTPS, we almost... Put it in a, a situation where the site was locked down for forever, and if someone visited the site twice, they would never ever see new content again unless they like blew away their browser history. So it can be—it's definitely full of footguns. Whereas uh, Service Worker is a lot more flexible and allows you to basically build your own app cache, which is really nice. Um, but on on top of that, it is totally right. There's there's been ways to add things to the home screen since 2009-ish, um, like uh, touch icons. Uh, yeah, touch icons are what allow you to add uh, shortcuts to the home screen of both iOS and Android. Um, I mean, we've had index DB since 2009, WebSQL since 2007, local storage since about the same time. Um, but I think what's genuinely new with progressive web apps, and, and I, I think one of the core reasons that everyone's really excited about them now is this prompt. I mean, that is the one thing that is really genuinely new and genuinely very interesting, and especially when you show it to your boss, it's a very good way to convince to convince them that, hey, maybe Progressive Web App is the kind of thing we should invest in because it's the browser promoting your app for you on its behalf, which is kind of amazing.
0: I just wanted to touch on that, uh, the foot gun uh, stuff that you were talking about. I I actually did put an app into a situation with AppCache where nobody could ever get updates again. (laughs) Luckily, it was just like a little toy project, but I, like, uh, so it it wasn't that big of a deal, but I, I realized, oh, like you get really got to be careful with this technology because you can like you know you do something like that to the Financial Times and, and you're in like you're in a big bad situation.
2: We had hacks upon hacks upon hacks to minimize the amount of content that actually touches AppCache. Uh, but we had like a tiny bootstrap which just gets going and then everything else was pulled out of IndexedDB and local storage. Um, just because yeah if you if you broke AppCache we would. We would break the FT on our biggest platform.
1: I would also uh, raise that you can, in fact, do the exact same thing with service worker. Uh, I have done this in development, uh, <laughs> fortunately not on uh, on anything of, of significance. Uh, but uh, basically, if you if you if you push some bad JavaScript that breaks before you register the new service worker. Uh, you can put yourself in the exact same position because it will keep serving from the old service worker and doesn't know that there's a new one. Uh, and since it's cache first, uh, you're back in that spot. So it is worth uh, at least kind of uh, being aware that you can do this.
3: <laughs> hey, that, that can actually have benefits. I remember there was a talk from Substack where he, he kind of evangelized these things. He called them hyperboot apps. This I idea saw that. Of, an, of an app that can be forever locked down. And so it's like, one hundred percent secure because you know the first time you visit this site, that is exactly the same version of the site that
1: it will be forever. So,
3: if that's what you want, you can
1: do that. As long as you don't care about you know pushing updates ever, I guess it's a good. Thing. Yeah. Well,
2: the nice thing with the service worker though is that the browser will check for updates to your service worker JavaScript file, and if it detects a byte difference, it will pull down and update the new service worker.
1: Yes. So definitely. if you wanted to, but if you didn't to... ever. But if you didn't ever, one well, of my point is if the JavaScript breaks before it even tries to register the new one, in my experience, that check doesn't happen.
4: It it should. That's a bug if it doesn't. Okay.
1: All right. I will uh, make sure that that's been fixed then. <laughs>
4: there, there there was a bug in in Firefox until forty six oh one that had that issue, but okay. we we pushed a hot or a patch release to to fix that.
1: Okay, so I ha- what's the heuristic then for determining what? I mean, should it check the service worker anytime it's all- online to try to see?
4: It's whenever the browser attempts to um, fire an event at the service worker. It will. It will. Um, if it's a navigation, like you're navigating to the window, and it's a navigation fetch event, it will. It will try to go to the network and hit the service worker. It may hit your H- HTTP cache, um, but if it's been over 24 hours, it will bypass the HTTP cache and go out to your server. So Maybe,
1: maybe it's the 24-hour thing that got me, so it would have maybe yeah. resolved itself in 24 hours. Regardless, yeah. I wouldn't want to break a site for 24 hours if it has any amount of traffic.
4: <laughs> I think I think a common tip is to always is just, in general, put no cache control, cache control headers on your service worker script so that you can always update as soon as possible. I'm
1: going to have do. to look again to see what I was doing because something definitely uh, went weird there.
4: I opened a spec issue, like maybe we should just do this if this is our recommendation. Just always just bypass cache, but that currently it's not the spec. I'm sorry, Ada. Uh,
2: so there is actually a very interesting post by Jake Archibald about um, how what you should do with your cache for to make updating easy in um, uh, with service workers. Uh, I will find it and drop a link. Um, I think I can do that somewhere. Um, and um, essentially um, uh, put the hash in the file name um, and do and set some cache headers, which I've forgotten. Um, yeah, it's uh, very good, very useful, uh, worth looking up. I'll go find it.
0: Cool, thanks. Um, so I think. Um, we're, we're getting a lot of questions on Twitter, so we'll probably only chat for another uh, ten minutes. But if, if anybody watching live does have questions, keep asking questions on Twitter. I'll I'll make sure to give us enough time to answer. Um, so I I wanted to actually ask what what does a progressive web app mean for the desktop? We talk a lot about mobile and that cool toast that pops up, you know, saying hey, or or the prompt, would you like to in- install this on your screen, like. That's not really a thing for desktop, right? There, there's no, you know, like add this to your home screen, right? Or is that coming?
1: Uh, that is coming, at least to Chrome. There is a add to shelf, they call it, um, and you can turn that on as a flag right now.
2: Yes, uh, yeah. So it's actually on it. Uh, yeah, it's on Linux too. Um, you can go uh, add to home screen. Um, and I was going to share my screen, but then I realized a lot of people can actually see it. Um, but you can go. All right, yeah. Yeah, um, you can
0: show it. And and if somebody wants to to see it, who's listening, they can check out. Um, we're at around minute thirty. So.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So go more tools, add to desktop. Um, it's on Linux, and yeah, it appears in your your bar, and you get uh, you get a web app. It works quite nicely.
0: Very cool. Thanks for the quick demo.
4: I wish I could say whether or not Firefox is working on that, but I'm kind of disconnected from the the product UX side, so I'm not familiar with our plans there. I think we had something like that in the past, but it was like a different mechanism, so I'm not sure where we stand currently.
2: I'm not actually sure what the status is in Chrome either, actually, because I've heard some stuff about it being removed, but it's always been present. And this is a pretty recent version of Chrome. in, in, in my browser, so I'm hoping it's either coming back or um, or maybe it just hasn't been removed yet, but
3: yeah. Uh, last, last I heard from the Chrome team, I may be misspeaking, speaking, is that they're working on harmonizing their treatment of Progressive Web Apps and uh, Chrome Apps, which I think is kind of the similar story with uh, Firefox and Firefox OS. And like Firefox OS apps uh, are similar, but not exactly the same as Progressive Web Apps, and so they kind of need to be need to be harmonized. But I actually tried, for what it's worth, I tried the Chrome thing behind, uh, the thing that's behind a flag. It was really nice. I could type into Spotlight on Mac and actually get op suggestions for a progressive web app. It had its own icon and everything. It was quite neat.
1: Yeah, I think until, until this stuff, we didn't really have that much of a standard around how to go about any of this stuff, which is why we had Chrome apps and why we had Firefox OS apps. And I think now it just kind of makes sense to, to start unifying all these things under the same set of technologies and then let the platform kind of Pick exactly how to implement that for their users, but to me, like this is now that this is, you know, getting some attention and becoming uh, more and more standardized. I think it's inevitable that you know this is the way to do this kind of thing, and then hopefully um, everything will support it eventually. So
0: I, I take that uh, you're suggesting we just use the platform, right? Just kidding. That was <laughs> we could talk about that later. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, That had to come in. So I I do want (laughs) to get actually a little bit more technical um, before we we go to our Twitter questions. Um, Because we have Ben here especially, I'd really like to talk about Service Worker, that technology. Um, Maybe Ben, you can give us an overview of how that technology works and what role it plays in progressive web apps. Uh
4: Aha, okay, Um, that just reminds me of the Uh, There's an infographic, a tall infographic that was going around recently about this. Let me see if I can summarize this. Um, Essentially, a service worker is like a web worker. In the past, web workers were associated with a window, a document that opened them. A service worker is unique in that it um, can run without any window open. And this lets us uh, provide a way to run JavaScript uh, for a variety of different use cases. The main one is um, when a network request happens, uh, you get a fetch event and you can decide to create your own response. You can go to the network, you can go to a um, storage system like the Cache API or IndexedDB and get a result. And um, it really lets you provide your build your own app cache functionality or something completely different, like on the Guardian, I believe, like they provide a crossword puzzle if you're offline. Um, instead of going to the site that that you were trying to see. Um, however, it also lets us provide other a place to fire other events where you may not have a window. Like a push event comes in, but the window is not open. In the past, there was no way to run any JavaScript without the window open as a security mechanism. So now we have have a way to do that. Um, and in the future, you know, background sync. Uh, I don't think there's anything spec'd yet, but you know, some sort of geofencing geolocation type API. Um, obviously some security or privacy concerns around that. But that's sort of the, the goal, right? Is provide a background process that can or a thread that can run run JavaScript and allow the, the site to build its own logic and functionality that used to be solely the domain of the browser so that we can expose these primitives to sites.
1: Yeah, right now it's limited to those two use cases, right? The push notification support and the uh, Chrome has implemented background sync as well. Those are really the only two offline or sort of everything's closed events that are going to occur for your service worker, right? Eventually, I would hope you'd be able to do sensors and other things, uh, you know, obviously with user permission, but those are the only two I'm aware of right now. Right. Uh,
2: Something which is quite fun for generating content is that with... With the new, uh, Canvas API, you can dynamically generate um, the push notification icons, which I think is pretty neat. That's awesome.
0: Wow, for those artists in the room, um, I am not one, but uh, you can use that Canvas API and make some pretty amazing things. (laughs) Cool. Um, So I I think that's helpful. So Service Worker is one of the technologies that help us uh, build uh, PWAs, or Progressive Web Apps. Um, Nolan, I know you wanted to talk about the, um, the web app manifest um, as well That's another critical piece of this.
3: Yeah, sure, I'm happy to quickly go over that. So if you've built Firefox OS apps before, it's gonna look uh, very like suspiciously familiar. Uh, basically, it's a JSON file where you define uh, a name for the application. You can define a short name as well, so that it has a different name when it's on the home screen versus uh, when it's open. You can define icons in various sizes, you can define a theme color and a background color for when it shows a splash screen when it starts up, um, because maybe you want to you know, kind of give the impression of loading a little bit quicker, so kind of you know, psychologically it's nice if you already have that uh, whatever background color your app is going to start to show uh, kind of in that splash screen. And then it also lets you define whether you want to launch with or without the URL bar, so whether you kind of want the browser Chrome around it or whether you, or around the app, or if you want it to kind of launch in standalone mode.
1: Um, orientation as well, right? Portrait versus landscape.
3: Yes, yes, that's true. And uh, oh and you can also define a custom uh, start HTML page, which is really nice because then you can say, uh, like, you can put like a query parameter in there, and that's how you know that uh, it's starting from standalone mode, starting from the home screen versus starting at, uh, from the browser.
0: Cool. <laughs> um, so I. We're, we're really running down on our time, and we, we have lots of questions to ask. So I, I'm just going to stop us on the Web App Manifest. It's cool, and you should. It's really easy. Uh, so I, I wanted to get into a couple examples, and then I wanted to talk about some use cases um, that, like, that are really hard to accomplish with the technology we have, and, and maybe you know some some things that are coming that will simplify those use cases a little bit. So first, uh, some examples. I'll just give a quick example. JavaScript Air, dot, uh, JavaScriptAir.com is a progressive web app. Um, it, actually, the service worker, I think, is broken right now. Um, but uh, you, you can go to JavaScriptAir.com, turn your phone on airplane mode, and refresh, and you'll still get JavaScriptAir.com. Everything looks great. Um, but uh, if you go to one of the episode pages, I think the CSS is broken or something like that. But, uh, so if anybody here wants to help me fix that, that'd be great, it's, it's uh, open source, so. <laughs> but uh, what are some other really cool examples and, uh, you, uh, like that you've seen of progressive web apps?
1: I think Flipkart, Flipkart was one of the first ones to do a big one, I think. Um, in terms of, like, broad audience, uh, they have quite a few customers, they're a very large uh, retailer uh, from India. And uh, so they have a very awesome example of a Progressive Web app.
4: I I feel compelled just to mention, I, th- I think what they built was great, and I'm glad to see them back on the web. Just going back to my previous statement, I, I don't think it's useful to have user agent checks, though, just because you don't have an exact set of features. I agree. So I, I just, I, I want to give them praise, but I don't want people to duplicate the user agent checking.
1: They also, yeah, they're at least now doing iOS as well, which is good, uh, which they weren't doing initially, but yeah, I, I was a little disappointed by that, too. Do you wanna
0: yeah. talk about that a little bit? I think there's a little bit of background that we could use there. Uh,
4: they, from what I understand, they used to have a website, then they went to pure native, and they came back to um, the web with this progressive web app. However, it was specifically targeted at a particular version of mobile Chrome. Like even if you open Chrome on a, a tablet, it, it didn't show, uh, you'd get shunted off to the Play Store. And that's just where I have some cognitive dissonance hearing this is a great progressive web app, but if I open it in Firefox for Android, I get the Play Store without, you know. Um, so I know they're working on it. I know they have a business dis- decision to make. I know that they're. I'm not their target customer. Um, it's just I, I would like to see the power of the web, right, is is, is reach. And so uh, allowing your site to work, even if it's not 100% the ideal feature set you want across uh, multiple browsers, I think, um, is the best thing. But I think there's studies that show that gives you better conversion than a, a, a interstitial to a Play Store or any store. Um, and also, I think it's better for the web in general.
3: Yeah, I want to just really quickly echo Ben's concerns because I I think I also saw Twitter's mobile site, which is a great mobile site, but I believe they kind of made the same choice. If I I think they they finally went back on, and you can actually access mobile.twitter.com from Firefox now. But for a time, they were doing user agent checking.
4: That yes, and and there were, there was like they had a they actually had a specific issue with their um, HTTP two server that. Um, our HTTP to server stack, or sorry, client stack, interacted poorly with their server. That was fixed, so it was a temporary situation, and um, it was more that you know it was completely broken for something that they were working to fix. Um, I, I understand that sort of thing, but it's it's been flipkart. I think we the CSS would work just fine in Firefox. You know, I think yeah.
1: I think I think you know to some degree though. Like I'm fairly tolerant of that when they first launch. You know, I mean, I understand they have uh, they I, I, you know as long as they iterate towards that. Like I, I feel like it's kind of okay um, because it was better than what they had, which was nothing. You know, like full on door slam. Um, so I guess I can give them. I don't know. I give them a little bit of, of grace and leeway there in that. I don't. I don't. You know, g- giving giving it a little bit of time. Uh, Knowing what it's like to work in these large corporations, sometimes getting approval from various uh, you know organizations and getting it through QA or whatever might be might be challenging. They might have to make some cuts to kind of get it to go. Yeah, I, mean, I
3: think in terms of health of the web too. To add on to that, like one of the progressive aspects of building uh, progressive web apps, I think like I, I hear a lot from people when I mention this. Oh, but does it work in Edge? Oh, but does it work in iOS? And that's kind of that's kind of the point, is that it doesn't work in those things, because the idea is you build this, this app that gracefully falls back to just a normal website, a perfectly fine website, and then you give those other browsers who have not implemented it yet, you give them incentive, right, to match that experience that people can get on other browsers. Like, if you just do a user agent check and you only give that experience to Chrome, then what motivation do the Edge team or uh, or WebKit team have to actually work on it? Like, no, you you're absolutely right. For the overall future health of the web, this is like one of those good web citizenship things we should be doing. I believe.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I definitely yeah, think great. though like you you should still give users uh, an awesome experience like, you know, that I I think that goes without saying, but I said it anyway. <laughs> so, cool. Um so what are some of the use cases um, that are common for progressive web apps, that, or or not maybe not common because they're hard? So what are some use cases that you can't really accomplish that you'd really think you'd want to with progressive web apps?
4: So the one of the main ones that I'm aware of actually is podcast player, uh, ironically, getting on a podcast, in that <laughs> um, traditionally podcast players, you know, The media tends to be on some CDN in order to reduce, um, you know, bandwidth costs. However, because it's mainly been native apps in the past, those are just served over HTTP without cores, um, cores headers. In order for service worker and websites to use it effectively, if you access these without cores, you you get a, um, you know, a change in the UX that says this site's using mixed content, and that makes your site look dangerous. Um, so there's this sort of industri- industry, um, you know, chicken and the egg problem where we need, we would like to get podcasts to serve course headers on all their media content, but they have no incentive to until there's web players. And so it's like, how do you bootstrap this problem without sacrificing the protection, the security that the web brings?
2: Um, so the Fetch API um, um, should... Um, um, I think will allow you to to fetch um, uh, with um, and be able to pull down a request without having the the cross-origin um, resource yeah. stuff. Uh, so if you um, uh, but you can't, obviously can't do anything. You can't mangle it with JavaScript or anything like that. But you can cache it, and I think that might work in a. Um, 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 inside an audio tag, because I remember I've been, I've been doing 360, um, uh, 360 video viewing in a, in a web app recently, and I was having some issues with the range header, but like it was working with cores and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's. Um,
4: yeah, I, I yeah. think you can get you get the media content out, but from what Paul, like Paul Lewis wrote a blog post about this, and what he, at least experience on some browsers is you get a change in the user. Like you know, there's like a lock icon that says this is secure. You get something that says this is mixed content. You know, warning. Um, and because because you have a when you're using a service worker, you're on a HTTPS site, um, and you're going to a no-core site. I think some browsers basically make a warning out of that.
2: Oh, and because it's HTTP as well, that's
4: yeah, that yeah, was the yeah issue. that
2: was Sorry, that was that I was focusing on that.
4: yeah, yeah I think uh, I might have been confused. But yeah, maybe it's more of an HTTP versus HTTPS issue there. Yeah, you can
3: you can put it in an audio tag. That's fine, but you couldn't do something like say save it to index TV, uh, which is unfortunate because that's kind of one of the like fundamental things you'd want to do with a podcast app is be able to download your podcasts and then play them offline. If you can't do that, it's kind of
1: like what's the? Problem? Uh,
2: you can you can you can put them in the cache API.
1: I've done you, you, that with images and stuff that are not, yeah.
4: Uh, you can put them in the cache API, but because they're opaque responses, you have no idea if they're actually there or not. You could have just cached a 501, wow. which is suboptimal. I mean, <laughs> uh, the site thinks it's there, but try to listen to it and nothing happens.
0: Yeah, that it seems like this is, uh, the, like there's opportunity for improvement um, on, on this particular use case of the podcast which makes me sad because I'd love to have my podcast just be like full on web app, but, you know, what do you do? Uh, Is there anything else that uh, the current tools... Oh, sorry, Ada, did you have something else?
2: Yeah, I was gonna say there's one more use case which I've seen, or two more use cases which I've seen uh, brought up when I speak to people at conferences about why they're not building a progressive web app. One is payments. Uh, They want to do payments through native, but... um, for various reasons, and I think hopefully that should be sorted soon with the Web Payments API. Um, And the other thing I've seen mention is is not as granular control over the camera for people wanting to do camera apps. Um, So yeah, and that one, there's uh, no APIs coming for that yet. Uh, So yeah, there were just a couple.
4: Yeah, so, the web
0: has a little ways to go yet I think um, to like be able to compete fully with uh with native experiences on on many use cases. um Somebody on Twitter just asked um, maybe we should explain a little bit about the cache API. Uh, does anybody want to talk about the cache api what like what role that plays in in progressive web apps uh
3: i'm I'm happy to take that up as uh, kind of one of the browser storage people. Uh, so the web has many, many ways of storing data. We have we had cookies, and then we had local storage, and then we had web SQL, and then we had Indexed DB. And uh, now, uh, for better or for worse, uh, with, with Service Workers and Associated Specs, we are blessed with a new one, which is the cache API, which is actually available, uh, it's actually available both in the main thread and in Service Worker. Yep. You can find it as window.caches, I believe, on the main mm-hmm. thread. Um, but basically, it's, it, no, it, it, I, I joke, but it's actually really nice because it's optimized for caching requests. So it integrates really nicely with the Fetch API. Like it's kind of a part of that whole like, family of standards uh, that Ben can talk about. But, um, but basically, what it allows you to do is it allows you to just cache HTTP requests, cache exactly what the headers were, what the response was. Um, yeah, it's a fundamental part of doing service worker stuff. If you're not using cache within a service worker, you're probably not using service worker to its fullest potential.
1: The other thing of interest potentially is uh, you can very easily write a little wrapper around it to just use it like a local storage, like promise-based alternative, um, which I may, <laughs> may or may not have done. Uh, be, let's get a link to that. Um, uh, I, don't, I, don't don't actually, a, I don't have a GitHub project on that yet, because I'm not sure it's a good idea. So, uh,
2: <laughs> I actually saw something really interesting with that, with using um, um, uh, using I suppose this is using fetch, rather than the cache API, but you can, if you have it sorted in the cache, you can instead of local storage, it would work as well, in asynchronously decoding JSON. Um, so although it's like, um, a, like a little bit slower from making the decode to actually get a result, like you're, it doesn't block the main thread, which is fantastic if you're decoding 15 megabytes of JSON or something, I... not that you should ever be decoding 15 megabytes of JSON. <laughs>
4: It, I, I remember reading about that blog post, and that might be something you'd want to test in different browsers because I, I, it does have a have a um, an async step to it. However, once it's all loaded into memory, it it really does need the the JavaScript global that's on the main thread. So there probably is still a fairly large blocking step with with that, um, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, that that's one of those. It's hard to um, perform that off the main thread because you need to create JavaScript objects. But yes, web workers, yeah, we'll see. Uh, It's complicated, though, and it's one of those things where the API makes you think it's doing something more magical than it might be.
1: There's an awful lot of complicated things we can do these days uh, with web workers and service workers combined. Uh, It's kind of interesting to cache your web worker code with service worker, it's just one of these moments when you're like, okay, this is getting pretty deep. <laughs> but but uh, it totally works and you can build amazing apps. So you should definitely read Nolan's uh, kind of breakdown of uh, what he did for Pokedex. Um, I added that as one of my links because he didn't, so I figured I'd kind of toot his horn for him because I think it's awesome. Um, I also gave a talk similar in, in content uh, at .js in Paris. That's online, too, if you want to find that.
0: Very cool, yeah, let's add that one to the links, too. Um, cool uh yeah we should probably jump into our uh, our questions on Twitter because <laughs> we've got plenty of them so um, unless there, there was anything else that anyone desperately wanted to m- make sure we bring up okay cool so our first question is from just uh, actually the very first question uh, is from um, my good friend Mike uh, Hardington and he asks um when do you think we'll be able to just say web apps instead of progressive web apps? When will we, we be able to just call them web apps?
1: I hope this happens <laughs> sooner than later. Uh, Dion Allmeyer said something about this. I tweeted something similar the other day and uh, he said, you know, we used to call it color TV uh, to delineate what a color TV is versus a regular TV. Uh, these days, so obviously, <laughs> it's just the TV, right? And I think. Until now, we've lacked uh, enough definition, I think, around this to really be able to make that delineation. I realize this is, like, a very, I don't know, complicated topic. A lot of people have strong opinions on this, but I feel like what we should work towards is the user's perception of what an app is, which is that I can install it, I can run it from my home screen, um, and I think that makes sense to, like, have that be a web app and have everything else be a website, but that's just me.
0: Cool. Um, all right. So Jeff Welpley asks, "Do you think that PWAs will reach a point where uh, where some big consumer-based companies won't need native apps?" Are we don't. So. Yes. <laughs> we would... uh, easy, easy question to answer. Yes. One day we will reach that point. <laughs> Uh, cool, Jeff Welpley also asks, um, here here comes the use the platform reference, so what was the big deal with the post-Google I.O. discussion about use the platform? Anybody wants to take that? Nobody wants to take that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the platform is really awesome. Abstractions are important. Okay, um, Yuri uh, is asking, when PWA, uh, or so you, we have uh, progressive web apps, then we also have hybrid. We have na- native. Where is a clear line between all of these?
2: So I've seen. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I've seen. No, um, um I've seen some companies um, start to move in a progressive. This is from speaking to people rather than actually seeing it myself, and they're saying they're moving in a progressive web app direction by first. Um, Turning all of their their wrapped content and improving it so that it's a decent app when wrapped, and then they're slowly planning to basically remove the wrapper and make it available to to get straight via the web um, once they have no longer any native components. Um, so yeah. it sounds like it's
0: a progression, like you can start, if you have a native app, you can like, slowly move to hybrid and then progressive?
3: Yeah, and, and Mike Hardington, who's just on, uh, he, he does Ionic, right, and Ionic recently added progressive web apps as a build target. So for them, it's just another build target, right? You can build your app in HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and then you can build for iOS, build for Android, uh, in a wrapper, each one, or build for the web as a progressive web app. Um, I don't know if that's actually shipped yet, but they did declare that they were gonna
0: they we're gonna support that at some point. Cool, um, so Juan is asking, um, I lost it, what do you think is holding people back from writing PWAs most? Lack of education, resilience on frameworks, or reliance on frameworks. Um, what's holding PWAs back? Or people writing them?
1: The lack uh, of a bunch of big uh-huh. shift examples.
2: I've been asking around here um, and so for some people it is features such as um, web payments not being widely supported. Um, Some people it's um, they want to get the offline support on iOS without relying on AppCache. And for some people it's um, just momentum Uh, and others they're like, yeah, we're doing it Um, but it's gonna take time. Uh, but there definitely does seem to be a movement in that direction, because it definitely gives you s- significant benefits with regards to um, click-through rate and actually getting people like installing, thousand in air quotes, your app. Uh.
1: Of potential interest, too, there is a PhoneGap slash Cordova plugin for basically implementing Service Worker, so that if you could potentially write your progressive web app, uh, ship it like that for platforms that support it, and then on iOS, uh, take the exact app and just wrap it with that very minimal wrapper in that case uh, to get the missing features. Um, I don't know how good it is. I haven't used it myself, but it does exist. Yeah, that's that's
0: actually really interesting. Let's get that in the links. Uh, we've got a lot of links today. Um, <laughs> this is really, really great. Okay, great, so next question from Larry King. My experience, users resist mobile browsers. They just think apps we need uh, more, um, more than performance to win them over. Thoughts? And then Yuri jumps on top of that and also adds another point. I often hear, uh, what I often hear is on searchability, like we want people to be able to find the app in the app store. So what are your thoughts on, on those things, like users' resistance to use, like mobile browsers, and they just kind of want to use apps, and then the searchability aspect as well.
2: Um, so if you're not in the top 0.1% of apps in the App Store. You're not getting visibility via the App Store. Um, users are going to be um, 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 coming to you via the web, either via social media or um, or via just looking for your for your website, and you expose it via your website. Um, and it's gonna, yeah, it's 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 definitely worth it to to so like the App Store isn't... Unless you're Angry Birds, you're not getting anything from the App Store.
1: I, I definitely want to uh, agree with that. In addition, I think... Uh, I, right now, I think we have a little bit of an issue with users in that I think Add to Home Screen just isn't strong enough. Um, I've heard people react to that, saying, why would I want to do that, as I mentioned before. I think we need the verbiage to change to install this app uh, because that's how users perceive these things. I understand there's political challenges with that, uh, with platforms that may not want that language, but I'm of the opinion until we get that point, uh, we're not going to get quite the traction that we want out of this because it's just too weak.
4: I'd love to see, like, uh, web search engines, though, like maybe add a flag or something that says this 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 site happens to have a manifest, you know, like something that says this is an appy link and if you click here it, it's something that you can install um, and maybe allow people to search for those. Um, on the other hand I hear a lot of people saying that they want a curated list however we have URLs anyone can make a curated list I think I think that's sort of the power of the web is now that they're addressable through a URL um, we don't have to necessarily have a store as the gatekeeper But
2: I remember there was uh, I can't remember who it was but someone mentioned earlier that perhaps the browser's heuristics should um, determine whether to determine whether the app actually gives you content whilst it is offline, and I think rather than actually relying on the browser to do that, perhaps that's the kind of thing which big search engines beginning with G could um, um, could use as part of their their SEO um, heuristics. I know that usually gets um, get stuff going quite
1: well. I did, I may or may not have tweeted at Matt Cuts about that at one point. I definitely think they should do it.
0: Uh, they, they've got a lot of power and I think they need to be really responsible and, and uh, considerate about uh, that power. Um, but uh, yeah, very interesting stuff. Cool, uh, so that is our, our questions from Twitter. I think we should rush into our uh, tips and picks. And uh, due to limited time, um, and just, qu- we'll quickly go through these um, uh, and then we can wrap up the show. So I'll go ahead and go first and then we'll go through our guests. So uh, my tip for this week is avoid nesting your tests. So if you use something like um, Mocha or Jasmine, you have these describe blocks so you can nest those describe blocks. I say have a single describe block, uh, don't nest those and avoid before each. Uh, I have a, a little, uh, podcast, like a three minute podcast that I recorded this morning about it, and you can see that in the links. Um, for my pick, I was asked to pick this, and it looks really interesting. Uh, Vaden I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but Vaadin Progressive Web App Competition. Looks really interesting, uh, you build a, a progressive web app and y- you win stuff, and it's fun, so check that out. Um, Nolan Lawson, why don't you go next?
3: Okay, uh, so for my tips, uh, I basically got two tips from uh, what's new in Chrome. So Chrome Canary now has an application tab if you build a progressive web app, which breaks down everything you want to know so you can debug, you know, what the icons are, uh, how it launches, and it also contains storage, and then my favorite feature that's absolutely going to revolutionize my own personal workflow is that there's now a single button where you can just blow away all of the offline data for a website which is amazing. I've been using browser extensions for that, and it's been awful. Now there's actually something built in. to Just blow it all away and start start crashing.
0: Sweet, uh, did you want to mention your pick?
3: Uh, oh yeah, that's right, yeah. So I, I have one pick, a non-programming thing, which is this documentary I saw recently. It's really, really good. Um, it's a famous one. I guess maybe I was the last person on the planet not to see it. It's called Hoop Dreams. It's a 1994 documentary about uh, inner-city kids in Chicago who uh, it, it's it's kind of um, it's kind of heartbreaking but also really inspiring because basically uh, they're they're really passionate about basketball and they sort of see basketball as being like their ticket out of poverty. Um, but it's it's really really worth watching. Very very good documentary.
0: Cool. Um, thanks for sharing, Henrik. Let's hear your tips and picks.
1: Uh, let's see. I yeah, a few a few different things here, but um, I just randomly I really really like uh, GraphQL. I think we're going to see some really interesting things happening with GraphQL over the next few years, uh, just because it's it's a nice clean spec, a really amazing way to query for uh, application data, which we're all doing now, uh, and REST doesn't quite fit that pattern anymore. Um, also a random other thing uh, I'm a huge fan of this library called reselect that I've been using a lot recently for Redux applications uh, for just kind of grabbing basically being able to ask intelligent questions of your application state um, just few other things in there specifically uh, so one one link I'll point out is just the service the SW toolbox uh, is a great set of tools uh, that the Chrome team has released. That is a script that you can kind of import into your service worker that gives you uh, like nice higher level abstractions for some of these things because uh, writing raw service workers can be a bit intimidating uh, at first. So that's a good place to start if you're a little bit gun shy. I know that my service worker for
0: JavaScriptAir.com is copy paste
1: <laughs> <laughs> But that said, I mean I think it is worth learning and kind of battling through it. But uh, there's a lot of power in that in that toolbox.
0: Very cool, yeah. I, I should probably give a shout out um, to Jake Archibald. I copied his um, example, so, and it, it works most of the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> <laughs> nice, cool, yeah, I think abstractions are valuable and uh, it'd be really nice to get a good one uh, for, uh, like, common use cases for service workers.
1: Related to Webpack, also real quick, method this out there, using build tools like Webpack that are aware of all your assets are really useful for generating service workers.
0: Sweet. Yeah, and actually, um, just random other thing that has the word worker in it. Uh, Webpack actually can, I think they have a a deploy or a uh, packager for Web Worker. So, you, like your target can be Web Worker, which is kind of like what. So, okay, cool. Um uh, Yeah, uh, Ben, we'll have you go next.
4: Uh, sure. I think the main tip I would I have is that. Um, I'd really, when you're writing a service worker, I'd really focus on if you're doing any asynchronous work outside of, like, your respond with and make sure it's in a wait until. I see lots of code examples on the web um, in guides and articles and in people's applications where they are not doing a wait until. And the browser can just kill your, your worker while you're doing that. Um, in testing, you often won't see that happen because, for example, on Chrome, when you have the dev tools open, it will not kill your worker. It keeps it open so it can debug it. So it, this is a thing where, like, it can work perfectly in, in your development and then die in the in the world in, like, a Heisen bug sort of situation. So I would, like, if you're... I, I would double-check your service workers about that. Um, and then uh, I was thinking about... I'm not very good at picking things, but I was thinking about this. I, I do think there's a really cool progressive web app um, called Sound Slice. I, I really think it's a great... Um, site that uses uh, like web audio canvas I think the the music notation is canvas but it'll show you the web note like the music notation and play it for you live and it, it um, I, b- I believe it works offline they have a it search
1: it's made by Adrian Holtti the Django guy
4: yeah it, it, fantastic it, it's really impressive and uh, as someone who's tried to learn how to play guitar before I was like this this is awesome um, and uh, yeah check it out I'll, I'll put the link in. Oh, it's already there.
0: Yeah, I added it. Um, actually, that's been picked before. I think Igor Menard uh, picked it uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, so yeah, very cool. Uh, Ada.
2: Cool. So I'd like to put in another um, like reference to SW Toolbox because now, like after writing a service worker myself a few times, just there are a lot of edge cases and stuff you don't expect. So SW Toolbox took out a lot of the stress from that. Um, and there's SW Precache um, again. This is in the, the Google Chrome GitHub repo um, for generating um, Precache is for your static websites. Um, and finally, Lighthouse again, come out with the Google Chrome team. Very cool tool. Um, it's not on the. It's a Chrome extension, which is still very early on. Um, so is a little. Um, um uh like it's, you have to build it yourself and and add it to your browser um via the add extension, but it it will look at your web app manifest and your uh, your app and will determine whether it's um will give you a list of stuff to check off for being a good progressive web app. It's very, very good. Uh, yeah. So that's my three things. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so, I'll just uh,
0: wrap things up for the show. Uh, so thanks all of you for coming on the show. This has been really interesting. Lots and lots of resources. I recommend you check out the links after the show. Um, so yeah, let me just wrap up with a couple closing announcements. So Trading Technologies is our silver sponsor. They are hiring, check them out. Um, suggest.javascriptair.com is a place you can go that will take you to a form where you can suggest shows for us. Uh, so. Yeah, we've, we've done several shows uh, that were suggestions from people and uh, just like you, and so we appreciate those suggestions. We have a long backlog though, so just be aware of that. But uh, yeah, uh, you can suggest guests or topics um, or both. And then feedback.javascriptair.com is a place you can go where you can submit feedback about this show or the show in general or a previous episode uh, we really value, uh, value your feedback. And then jsairio slash email will take you to our newsletter where you can see previous uh, weekly newsletters as well as um, sign up for the newsletter to get an email in your inbox the day after after the show every week uh, that gives highlights from the show and, and the links and tips and picks and stuff. Um, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much it. Next week we're going to be talking about um, uh, like beginner uh, beginners in the JavaScript community, and so uh, stay tuned for that. I, unfortunately, will not be hosting that show, but uh, I believe Getify will, will um, lead us on that, and it'll be awesome. Um, I will be out of town, so yeah, check us out next week, and as always, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+, to keep up with the latest, and uh, that's our show, so thanks again, everyone, for showing up, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye. Thank you. you.